Hey guys, Dane here with the Darkroom Podcast. Thank you so much for hanging out with us. In today's episode, I chat with photographer Pete Souza. Pete has done a lot of incredible things in his career. He worked at the Chicago Sun-Times in the early 80s. He was an official White House photographer for President Reagan. And shortly after that, he freelanced for National Geographic and Life Magazine, and most recently served as President Barack Obama's official White House photographer. I'm sure you have seen his incredible work, especially in his photo book, Obama, An Intimate Portrait. And his newest book, Shade, A Tale of Two Presidents, is out now. Pete has done it all, and I was so happy to be able to chat with him about his life. So without further ado, here is a conversation with Pete Souza. Welcome to the Dark Room Podcast, where you'll get to hear from the best full-time creators on the planet. From starting out to where they are now and everywhere in between. Welcome to the Dark Room. Pete Souza, thank you so much for giving us the time. How are you doing, ma'am? I'm doing okay. So in digging in and and doing some research before this, I found it extremely fascinating how you went from from you know essentially shooting as a fly on the wall for Obama to you know kind of being thrown into the spotlight in the last couple of years. What has it been like? in such a short amount of time going from, from that to that? Yeah, I mean, uh, I guess, first of all, I had, uh, last year was, was uh, I, I felt I had two jobs. Uh, one, I wanted to put together the, the best photography book on a president that anybody had ever done. Yeah. So that was like my day job, working with a designer, a, a publisher, um, you know, the editing the pictures, uh, you know, getting them laid out and designed and all that kind of stuff. But then at the same time, I had this side job, which was um, on Instagram. I started, uh, I guess, shading, throwing shade at Trump yeah. uh, using um, using s- some of those same pictures, but but oftentimes ones that better related to what craziness he was doing or saying. And, um, I, I, I refused all the interviews that people had, uh, called me about in terms of what I was doing on Instagram. And I just told people it speaks for itself. Um, and you know, and most people got it, what I was doing. Um, and even when I was on my book promotion for my coffee table book, um, I just, I didn't really ever respond to, uh, the questions about, you know, my Instagram feed. And then really the turn started uh, in the spring of this year when um, I thought Trump had just gone too far. And, um, you know, I decided to do this shade book, which, you know, I really put myself out there in terms of um, having to do interviews and people recognize me at the airport and that kind of stuff. Yeah. What, what was that process like putting together that book and, and getting everything involved that needed to go into that? Well, the shade book was directly from my Instagram feed. And so I went back through all my posts on Instagram 
Um, the, the difference is that on my Instagram feed, I make people work. You have to pay attention to the news to know what I'm referring to yeah. oftentimes. Whereas in the book, um, you know, I gathered Trump tweets, news headlines, things like that. So it was, it was just a lot of, uh, you know, jockeying around pages and trying to find, um, the, the Trump tweet that caused me to post something on Instagram in the first place, uh, that kind of thing. So it was, so, it was, and, I, and it was in my head how it would be laid out. Um, but you know, until you work with a, uh, professional designer, uh, it, it, it you know, it doesn't look exactly the way you, you thought it would, but pretty close. really. <laughs> And and when you're speaking now, because you're doing a ton of speaking, right? I think when I looked at your schedule, it looked like you were a like a reunion tour or a reunion band on tour. Like you're you're going all over the place all the time, right? Um, I mean, it, it's probably similar to my last tour. Uh, I'm hitting some of the same cities I did last time, but also wanted to hit some some new cities that people had been asking, you know, about wanting me to come to. So like this time, we we did Nashville. We're doing after Thanksgiving. We're doing Ann Arbor in uh, Madison, Wisconsin. Um, I say we, but it's really me. <laughs> yeah. uh, so, so yeah. So it's it, and it's a different presentation than I did on my last tour. Yeah. So how how do those presentations come about? Is it is it a lot of you know kind of sitting in silence for a bit and 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 crafting those and then finally releasing them them to the light or? or do they happen while you're continually on tour? And is that how they become shaped and formed? Uh, I mean, to start out, I had to put something together, right, uh, to do the first one. And, um, you know, I just thought about it a long time. And, and, and people were, you know, my wife was making suggestions and, uh, on the tone that I would take. And my, my uh, publisher was making suggestions. But ultimately... You know, I, I, um, I, I took a stab at it and put together what I think is a pretty good presentation, which talks about why, uh, why I decided to do this book or start throwing shade in the first place, and um, giving some some examples from the book. But then mostly the the presentation is kind of a tongue in cheek assessment of trump by looking at pictures of president obama and um uh drawing the contrast between the two yeah yeah no and going back to uh to obama an intimate portrait so you finish shooting with him and and you sit down and what does that process look like to take all those photos from you know eight years and to go through, you know, two million shots. Did you already know throughout the years what you were going to use, so it wasn't as as tough as you know you'd think? One of the advantages was um, we we came into office when social media exploded, and as a result, the administration wanted to uh, have have me uh, post a lot of the behind the scenes pictures. Uh, on Flickr, yeah, and and later on 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 Instagram, um, so there was there was an ongoing edit uh, going on th- throughout the the White House years, and and it was from that edit that I that uh, over those eight years that I that I c- 
cult my pictures from. I obviously did not have time to go through two million photos. I'd still yeah. be working on it. You know? Yeah. And you know, and there's but there, and there's a few. There was also a few that uh, you know maybe uh, I had sort of kept in my back pocket per se, like ones that I always uh, photos that I always liked, but never seemed to fit right into what we were doing. Um, yeah. So it was, it was a matter of, I guess, probably calling down, you know, five to 10,000 photos down to, you know, 325 or whatever it was that we ended up with. Yeah. It's an incredible book. And the amount of emotion in every single shot Honestly, like really, really blows my mind. Like I, I have to sit down when watching or when, when looking at the shots. I really do. Uh, so when you're shooting, when do you know you have that shot? Or does that not really become apparent until the edit and until after when you look back? Or do you know immediately once you have it? Sometimes you know right away. Sometimes you don't know till you're looking at the pictures at the end of the day. And... Um, and then sometimes the context of certain pictures become apparent right away. Yeah. And um, so I, I guess to answer your question, uh, sometimes you know, sometimes you don't. Yeah. And and you uh, you worked with the team, obviously. What was the uh, what was the workflow like? What was the what was the day to day workflow with the editor and and people helping? I was always with President Obama um, all day long. And during the day, I would drop, uh, you know, cards, digital cards off um, two or three times a day. So a photo editor could, could ingest them into our system and, and begin the captioning process. The people forget that our main uh, focus was on creating this archive in perpetuity, you know, all, all, all of my pictures are now at the National Archives. Yeah. And so organizing those uh, was, you know, important. Adding keywords, trying to get everybody's name that's in a picture. Um, th- that was like probably the most important thing we did is uh, gathering all that uh, information. And that's where the, the staff that worked with me um, really shined. And... Um, yeah, so that was that was sort of the the basic workflow. So uh, going back a little bit, what was the transition like getting a camera into your hands? I, I know I've I've read and heard that it, it wasn't really until college. Is that correct? Yeah, I, I went to Boston University to their journalism school or communication school mm-hmm. uh, with the hopes of becoming a sports writer, and then in my junior year, I took a photo one class. Um. In the you know in the communication school, and I think probably the first roll of film I developed and then made a print from I, I knew that's what I wanted to do. Like it was sort of magic to me that you know you'd you'd take this picture, then you'd develop the film yourself, following the you know instructions on what chemicals to put in and all that yeah. kind of stuff, and then you know editing your picture. And then printing it in the dark room and watching the print magically appear in the in the tray of Dectal developer. Well, I think the first picture I printed, I was hooked. Yeah. On on photography for sure. 
Do you remember having any professors or people in your life early on that that inspired you to keep going or that told you to not put the camera down? Or did you kind of always have that drive yourself? The At Boston University, the instructors that I had uh, were uh, Harris Smith, who ran the program, Stephen Frank, who t- taught that first class, and a guy by the name of Lee Lockwood, who was uh, – somewhat of a famous photographer, uh, worked for the black star photo agency. And, um, he had a lot of, uh, inroads to Cuba, uh, back, back in the day, this is back in the sixties and seventies that, that he spent a lot of time in Cuba. Um, and then, um, the, my last year that I was there, Ken Covey come in, came in to, to head up the program or maybe he didn't head up the program, but he eventually did. And I never had Ken as a teacher, um, but he uh, he got me uh, an internship my senior year with the Associated Press. Nice. Which was invaluable in terms of just, you know, gaining experience. Um, yeah, so those, those those are the four people that were uh, teachers when I was at Boston University. Did you have any any jobs in that time, like odd jobs other than photography, or has that always been what you've done for work? Um, well, I, when I graduated from BU, I, I, I couldn't find a, a, a job. I, I, was, I applied to a couple of newspapers and didn't really know what I wanted to do because my portfolio wasn't that good, and I was questioning whether I could actually make it as a photographer. Um, and so I worked for my uncle's business, uh, back home for, for a year as I sort of thought about, um, you know, what, what I should do. And at the time, I mean, becoming a sports journalist was still at the top of your head, right? No, no, no. I, I, I had long given up on that. I wanted to work for a newspaper as a photographer. Yeah. What, what was some of the first, uh, you know, the first introduction into that world? Well, the first introductions to that world were rejections. <laughs> um, yeah. So I, um, you know, I applied for a couple of newspaper jobs, was turned down. Then while I was working for my uncle's business, I was uh, occasionally stringing, which is, that was the terminology back then. I, don't, I think now it's just called freelancing. But I was doing occasional assignments for my hometown newspaper, the New Bedford Standard Times, and, and you know, I hoped that they would maybe give me a job, which they didn't. <laughs> um, and so, I, as, as you know, I decided that maybe what I need to do is go back to graduate school because I was sort of um, fumbling around in my life. Um, and, I, and I ended up taking uh, a job as a graduate teaching assistant at Kansas State University, which allowed me to um, get my master's degree essentially for free. Um, but, but more importantly, um, they had this really great college newspaper at Kansas State, the, the Collegian. And I started working for them right away. And that's sort of where I, um, where everything kind of clicked finally. Yeah. Um, it, it, it was, uh, just, you know, a bunch of 
kids basically running running this daily newspaper and uh and 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 it's where i i think i finally figured out uh how, how to be a photojournalist yeah and that was that was some of the first times that your work was being published right yeah i mean i had some stuff published before in in the new bedford standard times and i remember in uh 1976 we had this uh big tall ships festival in in rhode island and my my dad uh took his boat over there with me and i got a cover picture on sailing magazine oh nice uh yeah um and then you know i had a couple other assignments here and there but they they were just far and few between but you know the collegian uh at the collegian not only was I working for, uh, you know, getting published in the, the, the college paper, but I also started uh, freelancing for the Associated Press. Okay. Um, because they, uh, they had a staff photographer in Kansas City, but I was two hours from Kansas City in Manhattan, Kansas. And oftentimes um, – the, the staff photographer couldn't make it for the football game or the basketball game. And so I started uh, stringing for, for the AP at some of these uh, uh, sports events. Going back to, uh, to your folks, what did your parents think about you as a photographer and, and that trajectory in your, in your life? Well, I mean, I think my, my, my mother, I'll never forget my, my mother thought I was crazy. <laughs> Because she didn't, she didn't understand uh, how I could make a living taking pictures. Yeah, it, it it just was not in her DNA. You know, she comes of her, you know, more or less a uh, a working class family. She was a school nurse, and my dad was a boat mechanic. Oh, okay, and yeah, the, the idea different. of somebody taking pictures and getting paid for it, she just didn't think that would ever amount to anything. <laughs> Um, but I mean, my, my dad did build a, a little dark room in, in our basement. So when I, when I finished college, um, you know, I, I, I did have that, that dark room to, you know, sort of continue my passion. Now in that time period, um, going back to freelancing for the Associated Press, you were early twenties, correct? Around that time. Yeah. How soon after did you start shooting for Reagan? Was that in the same uh, few years? Yeah. Well, it was within a few years, but I, mean, I did. Uh, I worked for three newspapers before I went to work at the White House in 1983. So, so I had worked for two small uh, papers in Kansas, and then I worked for the Chicago Sun-Times uh, just for like less than two years, I think it was. And uh, then I got this job. Uh, in the Reagan White House. How were you introduced into politics while you were at the paper? Was that part of assignments? Was that just who you who you knew through the papers? Well, I mean, I had covered state, uh, you know, state or local politics. Um, you know, when you're a newspaper photographer, you're covering a variety of assignments. So you're doing sports news feature and always, you know, some politics either at the state level or, or, again, at the very local level. And then, of course, in Chicago, that was amped up even more because Chicago's a big city. You've got, you've got the, the, the city government, the mayor got a lot of attention. Then you've got, 
you know, a governor's race. Um, so that was uh, something that I also covered then. I mean, the whole business of going to the White House was never anything that I had aspired to do. Uh, it's just all of a sudden I get a phone call one day from uh, a photo editor that I knew professionally who had gone on to become the White House photo editor calling me and saying, we want you to apply for this job. Um, you know, it was like one of those things out of the blue that yeah. happens oftentimes. Do you remember those first few days in the White House? Like even just day one, getting there, having a little bit of nerves or was everything, you know, pretty settled? Like what, what were those first couple of days like in, in Reagan's presidency? No, I, I was way outside my element. <laughs> um, I, 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 it wasn't just the first couple of days. I'd say it was the first couple six months yeah where i was just like not knowing how to navigate uh you know things at the white house um and it you know it was a, a completely new uh situation for me and I, I i i think it took six months before i even got halfway comfortable what was that workload like shooting film constantly all day? Like, obviously, it wasn't two million photos worth or even a million, but I'm sure, you know, there are there roles and roles sitting somewhere from that, from that time period? It was, it was the same process where the uh, most important function was creating this archive. So every roll of film would be sent to a secure photo lab at a nearby naval base where there was a lab, you know, a military lab. Um, and you know, there were great strides put on making sure nothing ever happened to that film. Uh, it was couriered by a military vehicle, um, you know, back and forth from us at the White House to the lab, which was across the Anacostia River. That's wild. Um, yeah. And, you know, in terms of film, I mean, I was not the chief photographer, um, and so I wasn't shooting nearly as much as I did with President Obama, but there were some days where, you know, you'd shoot 10 or 20 rolls, um, you know, and then on like inauguration day, probably even more than that. At the end of shooting with Reagan, I know you took, you know, a lot of time cause you didn't know that you were going to be shooting again, uh, a few presidents later. So you were freelancing in that, in that time in between. Well, well, I, I freelanced for nine years uh, when I when I left the Reagan White House, and then I took a job in uh, 1998, I think it was, as the uh, national photographer for the Ch Chicago Tribune, but based in Washington. Um, and you know, and it was through that job that I uh, met Barack Obama because he was elected to the Senate in 2004. And uh, a reporter and I in the, in the Washington Bureau decided to do a series of articles on his first year in the Senate. Um, and obviously for that, I needed to get his access. You know, him, I needed to have him give me access. Um, and that's how I got to know him professionally. Having such a big voice, at least through the lens when it comes to you know, documenting history for years and years to come, you know, how do you go about or how did you go about sculpting that narrative? 
I don't know that I sculpt a narrative as much as I um, paid attention to every little thing that was going on. I mean, one of the, one of the the big advantages to President Obama giving me all this access is I was aware of all the little things that were going on in terms of, um, you know, big issues that were playing out privately for now, which eventually would become public. And as a result, I was able to, um, you know, sort of connect those dots a little bit in um, knowing uh, where where pictures might occur um, just because I knew everything that was going on in his life. And I, I you know, I also had, uh, you know, not only was I in the Situation Room all the time or, or the Oval Office, but I was also aware of what was going on with his family because I photographed the family a lot. Um, so I probably knew his moods better than anybody. Yeah. Um, and I think that was very helpful in terms of um, just just how I approach things. I don't know if that makes sense or not. No, it, it totally does. And, and I really like how you put it where you were really just paying attention because that is, you know, something that is very subtle, but it's, it's, I feel like it's the most true when documenting and, and, you know, shooting political photography. And like, are there any other characteristics you think that, that make documenting work like that stand out? Well, it, it, it's a matter of, um, uh, uh, making authentic pictures that are true to the situation that's taking place. One of the uh, experiences I had between Reagan and Obama when I was working for the Chicago Tribune in Washington is I would occasionally cover, uh, as, as a news photographer, cover Clinton and Bush. And as a news photographer, you don't know everything that's going on. And you're making pictures somewhat blindly and, and somewhat... Um, reacting to what the news of the day is. And I often found that the editors at the Chicago Tribune were looking at a certain kind of, a, certain kind of picture with a certain kind of an expression from, you know, Clinton or then Bush when he, after he was elected that would fit their narrative for the day. And yet that picture may not be uh, truly uh, representative of what's going on in the moment. Because um, what, what would happen is you'd get access to, you know, Clinton or Bush at some public event. But the story was something completely, it had nothing to do with that public event. You know, like when Clinton yeah. went through his... When Clinton went through his impeachment process, he was trying to keep a regular schedule. And the editors are looking for, you know, a picture that goes along with what's coming out of the hearings that day. And I always found that really difficult to, to edit because it's sort of like it's easy to edit from a public event and, and show the president in like 
three different faces, right? Right. Oh, he looks sad in this one. He looks happy in this one. Which is the true moment? You don't really know, but you're you're editing the way the newspaper is telling you the kind of picture they need. So that was a long wind up to saying that I was felt in the Obama administration, especially I was producing and editing authentic pictures that were true to what was taking place. Yeah. Um, you know, you can also add in, you know, you're looking for the right moment, the right expression. You're looking for composition and framing and, trying to include pertinent, uh, you know, foreground, background, all those things. Um, But more than anything, authenticity. Yeah, I love that. Um, And, you know, in in today's world, which really just, you know, seems so divided, how, how do you think we can use photography to bridge that divide, if at all? Yeah, I mean, the, you know, one of the things that's interesting about the uh, the Trump administration is the. I think if you talk to the news photographers, they would they would say they're happy with their access, right? Yeah. But I've never seen. I don't think I've seen a single true behind the scenes picture of Donald Trump. Yeah, same. Because it's become a reality show presidency. It, it's it's like he's got a private meeting with Kanye West and he invites the entire press corps into the Oval Office <laughs> yeah. for the entire meeting. It, same thing with cabinet meetings. It's reality show. It's not, I don't know what the guy does all day, yeah. but I, 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 I want to see those pictures and, and we're not seeing them. Yeah, no, um, I totally agree. You know, when, uh, during the, ad- Obama administration, I mean, there was some criticism from news photographers that they didn't get enough access or whatever. But the one thing I will say is that the the press office during the Obama administration gave unprecedented access to individual photographers. Like not, I'm not talking about like those, you know, f- photo sprays where, you, where everybody comes into the old office for 10 minutes. Yeah. And just, yeah, I'm talking about, you know, Callie shell for time magazine probably was there the first, like 60 of the first hundred days having behind the scenes access, similar to access to what I got. Um, and then throughout his presidency, uh, you know, photographers from the New York times, Sunday magazine from, Vanity Fair, from Sports Illustrated, from the Chicago Tribune, from uh, the Washington Post, from the Louisville Courier Journal, all had um, access for at least a day to make some real pictures. Yeah. You know? Uh, And that's what we're not seeing today. Yeah, I wonder if down the line we're going to look back and and see that you were given more access than, you know, any other photographer in history that, that was put in the same shoes. I, I, I would, I would argue that it began with Yoshi Okamoto for LBJ, who mm-hmm. I still think of as the, you know, you talk about inspiration for me. Uh, he, he was, he was always 
the guy that set the bar so high in documenting LBJ's presidency, mm-hmm. um, that, that, that that's the level that I was seeking to attain. Um, so, so I don't, um, I, I think there's been others that have had that similar access, David Kennerly with Ford. Um, I, I, I think you probably think uh, of me mostly because you're more familiar with my pictures. Uh, and that's all because the Obama presidency happened to be the ones in the White House when so- social media exploded. I think no matter who had been uh, president or the photographer, I think you would have you would have seen the same thing. Is there a world where Pete gets back in the White House for a third time? No, no, no. I mean, the that job wears you out emotionally, physically. Um, you know, I was spent, uh, when, when, when I, when I left and, um, you know, I'm not a young guy. Um, I, I don't, I don't see, I don't see any circumstance where, um, where, where, where I'm asked to, to do this job again. Were you married at the time? I wasn't married, but, um, I had been with my wife for almost 20 years and so we were um, probably legally common law marriage. <laughs> <laughs> yeah was it was it a hard uh, you know was it a hard hurdle to get over the, uh, the all the time away and and spending time there or, or did you guys you know have it down pretty well? No, it was it, you know I I didn't spend Christmas with my family for eight eight years. I spent Christmas at the White House uh, yeah. uh, with the Obama family as they were opening their presents. Um, you know, I miss birthdays and weddings and funerals and, um, it, it was not easy. It, it, and, it, and it's like that for a lot of people that work at the white house, uh, where you sacrifice a lot of your personal life. That's the most difficult thing. And that's another reason why I, I wouldn't want to do this again. Yeah. Uh, because I I I, I, I just can't do that again. I don't think. What What did you know? I'm I'm really curious. What did the last day look like? At least the last day that you were shooting for Obama. The last day that that he left. Like was it was it a weird, strange? Like all right, like that that was it, and you kind of pack up the bags and clean out the office and go. Or what What did that last day at least look like to you? I think the whole last week was, 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 was kind of strange. And, um, the, uh, I, the, the, the way it works at the white house, there's so many people that work at the white house that over the course of, uh, the three weeks in January leading up to the inauguration every day, people are what they call off boarded. Cause you know, it takes a while to, basically check out yeah and, sure uh turn in your computer and um you know the, all that kind of stuff so by the end of the by by like the 17th of january there was just kind of a skeleton skeleton crew left yeah and then by the night of the 19th there was just a handful of us everybody had left and one of the thing including everyone from my office uh, I was the only one, you know, there. And um, we, we there's been this tradition since the Nixon administration that 
you hang these large photos on the walls of the West Wing. Mm-hmm. Um, and I had to be the one to take them down. Oh, wow. On the night of the 19th. Yeah. And um, we left blank frames, you know, hanging on the walls of the West Wing. And that that was that was a signal to me that, you know, this 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 was this was ending. And then of course the morning of the twentieth, um, President Obama came over to the office in the morning and you know, him leaving the Oval Office for the last time um just was symbolic, right? And then uh Trump and Pence come to the White House with the congressional leaders for a little reception in the blue room of the white house before going up to the Capitol. And I remember when the limousine pulled up, Trump's limousine pulled up, I was still like wanting to think that Hillary was actually going to get out of the car, you know? And then when you see Trump get out and sort of diss his wife, just, like doesn't doesn't even wait for his wife. Um, it, I was like, this is like so surreal. Yeah, wow, that's so, powerful. You know, it would have been a lot different if 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 Hillary had had uh, had won emotionally. I think. Yeah, you know, in moments like this, is it? It does the camera almost feel like a force field? while you're looking through it? Sometimes do you have to step away from the camera to really look with your eyes or, or have you always been able to balance the two? Well, I, I, I was, I was determined to, uh, to always be looking through the camera, um, on, on inauguration day. Um, because you know, those are truly once in a lifetime moments right? where you have the incoming president, interacting directly with the outgoing president in a very almost intimate way. And I was very uh, cognizant of, of making sure I was capturing, uh, uh, the, you know, those, those, those moments that, that, that interaction between the two. Yeah. That's basically how I start out my, shade presentation my you know my book tour presentation now is um what happened on january 20th and just how surreal that that all was yeah has uh, has president obama ever sat in for a session with you to see you speak no but i know that his he, he has had some friends come to my uh talk so i'm sure he gets the download it it would it would be i wouldn't want him to come yeah i mean one of the things about my presentation is i can say things about him uh that he can't say about himself because it would come off as you know uh it would come off as uh you know maybe bragging you know sort of like the the way Trump talks about himself, President Obama could never do that. Oh, of course, and get, and yeah. get away with it. Yeah, you know that he's the greatest deal maker and all this kind of stuff. But I could say things about President Obama based on, you know, my experience with him. Um, that would probably I don't know if they'd embarrass him or not, but but he <laughs> he 
I don't want him to be there because I, I think I think uh, I I I just don't think <laughs> I don't know how I would react. <laughs> yeah. What are, What are your conversations like now when you guys chat and, and talk? Uh, you know, I don't, I don't see him that much. I mean, I saw him maybe three weeks ago, and um, you know, usually it's talking about he's asking about my wife. I'm asking about his family. Yeah. Um, you know, you, you, you know, there may be a couple things that, um, he, he, that, that we sort of like trade stories about, but maybe, uh, he's a big sports fan. So if the Red Sox are doing good, which they did, which, this yeah, game, which they did, you may say something about that. Yeah. Oh man, that's cool. That's powerful stuff, Pete. Thank you so much. So I, I really just have one more question for you. Yeah. Um, for 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 people that want to, you know, get into photojournalism, or even that just want to pick up a camera to document, you know, do you have any advice for for the young photographer, or just the young creative that that you know wants to, you know, eventually shoot for a president? Or obviously, there's no set path for that. But do you have anything for? For what you I think, mean, I I sort of I steal I steal a line from a an author that uh, was doing an inter- interview on NPR, and um, the uh, the host asked the author, you know, what advice do you have for a young writer? And the author said, "Write one page every day." Yeah, and it's really the same thing with photography. You've got to shoot pictures every day and you've got to force put yourself out there in the kind of situations that uh, maybe take you a little outside your comfort zone Um, and you've got to make pictures i mean cartier brisson the you know the famous french photographer once said that his worst pictures were his first ten thousand. well you know and I i think there's something to be said for that oh yeah you know. Well, thank you so much, Pete. I really appreciate it. It's been you an bet. honor. That'll do it, guys. I cannot thank Pete enough for giving us the time. I really hope you guys enjoyed it and took a lot from his incredible career. If you can see Pete speak in a city near you, you should definitely do so. I know Anders and Theo, the founders of Darkroom, they have, and they loved it. And they were actually able to talk with him afterwards and and pick his brain a bit. So yeah, Pete is awesome. And I am so pumped to be able to chat with him. Go ahead and pick up one of Pete's amazing photo books. Uh, Say hi to him on Instagram at Pete Souza. That's P-E-T-E-S-O-U. Z-A. That's an incredible place to see up-to-date Pete work and everything coming through his way. All right, you guys, uh, I appreciate you. Thank you again, and we will see you next week.